Good morning. Just want to get a thumbs up from Liv. We're okay? Awesome. Uh, good morning, everyone here. Welcome to Church of the Beloved. Uh, if you're a first-time watcher, uh, my name is Abe. And I want to welcome to those, I welcome all of you here who are in person, in real life, uh, as well as those who are joining us online. I want to, before we get started today, I want to give a quick shout out to the staff, uh, church staff, for the amazing work they did last week putting on the church picnic. Uh, they found an amazing venue, great food with that food truck, uh, even the Easter egg hunt for the kids. I saw some of the aftermath. It looked like a lot of fun. I just really appreciate how the staff just created a huge sense of frivolity, you know, a sense of community that was so needed. We had nearly 100 folks of our beloved family come together this past Resurrection Sunday, which was so much fun. It's so good to see all of you. Some of you for the first time, and some of you I thought was for the first time, but it turns out because of my bad memory, it wasn't, and in which case, I'm very sorry. Uh, I got no excuse. Anyway, we do hope to do that again, uh, gather together. So stay tuned for announcements about future events from each of the campuses, as well as for our church as a whole. I also want to mention, uh, and for some of you might feel like it's the first time you're hearing it, but we are reopening our doors. We're gathering in person once again. We do need to maintain COVID protocols that our reopen team has put in place. So the numbers of folks that can meet in person are limited. we send out every Thursday a registration link. So if you want to join, if you feel comfortable with it, coming in person, it's good to see people, it's good to say hi from a distance, you know, give some elbow bumps or whatever. But we hope that you can join us. If you're not getting those emails and they're not in your spam, just text COTB to 97000 or you can email info at cotb.life and we can get you more information and connected and get those emails out to you. Can I ask if you would join with me? I want to commit this time to God in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, holy be thy name. Jesus, you are the Son of God, reigning with our Father in heaven. Holy be thy name. Holy Spirit who dwells within us, holy be thy name. For you, God, alone are worthy of our worship, are worthy of our praise, are worthy of our obedience. And so... May we as a body of believers, as a family unified by the Son of God's crucifixion and resurrection, may we honor you in every word, thought, and deed. And may this time now be edifying for all your beloved. And may it bring you all the glory, God. In the powerful name of your Son, I pray. Amen. Trayvon Martin. Brianna Taylor, George Floyd, Zhao Ji Tan, Hyunjung Grant, Yong Ah Yu, Sun Cha Kim. These are all women and men killed simply because they were not white men. People made in the image of God but deemed by a white supremacist culture to not be valuable enough to not be murdered, to not be lynched, to not be executed. This is, this is the reality we're living in right now. And back, in, and back in 2019, our church, Church of the Beloved, learned that there were individuals within our body who were being spiritually abused by our, our founding pastor. 
And it resulted in a, in a lot of ugliness, a realization, and exposure to the light of truth that we were not always able or willing to see. And I'll tell you right now, we are continuing to reel from the reality of this history of abuse in our church. And we are continuing to figure out how we can love and care for those victims while ensuring that this veil of secrecy and oppressive authority never be reestablished in our church again. This is our reality right now. It's 2021. And we are still unable to return to a life of normalcy because of COVID. Since this pandemic started over a year ago, there has been a steady rise in reports of mental health issues, self-harm, suicidal ideation, especially among young adults, among women, among Black and Latinx individuals, essential workers, young people, children, who they're not only struggling with remote learning, some as a result just giving up, but these individuals, these children are also struggling with food insecurity. Because school used to be the only place where they had a guaranteed meal. This is our reality right now. And by the way, if, if this is your reality, if you're struggling as well, please reach out. We want to help you. We want to care for you. The title of our new sermon series is Philippians. The episode or epistle, I prefer epistle, but I think it's actually episode. The epistle of joy. And I have to guess, I'm sure that there are many who are thinking or hearing this right now, thinking, wow, uh, Pastor Abe, I'm not that hopeful about where you're going with this sermon series because there's not a lot of joy in what you just started with. And I'll tell you, as I sat down and I started to prepare for this week's message for this series, these things I just mentioned were the things that were swimming in my head. So much so that I considered delaying starting this sermon series for a few weeks. See, on Monday, uh, my wife and I and one of our sisters, her name is Katz, we virtually attended a panel discussion. It was called uh, Black and Asian Christians United Against Racism. It was a good discussion, but it was really hard to hear at times. Then on Tuesday, during our regular staff meeting for Church of the Beloved, the issue of our founding pastor's malfeasance came to light once again. And then during this entire week, Issues, mental health issues, uh, the mental health of our congregation, issues around that, including my own, started to come into question. And all this would go on every morning as I would sat, sit at my desk and pray, God, where, where are you taking me this week? What are you wanting me to preach about on Sunday? So back in February, um, let me explain, I sat down with pastors uh, Otua and Pastor and James, and we talked about What's going to come after Hebrews? What's going to come after Easter Sunday, Palm Sunday? What are we going to preach on? You see, the year prior, um, we had had a members retreat. I think it was back in February, for those of you who remember it. Uh, the theme for that retreat was joy. And it was based on this book, Philippians. And I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know, one, first of all, we need time, not just as members, but as a congregation, to consider this theme, this joy. And the other thing is, February 2020, that at this point with COVID times feels like centuries ago. So I figured it's okay for us to come back to it. So over the next 10 weeks, we're going to be journeying together through this sermon series on Philippians, the Epistle of Joy. And as we consider this Epistle of Joy, I want to consider it within the context of today's dark reality. 
I want to take a look at, before we dive deeper into it, the, the backstory of this church in Philippi. And you can actually read more about this church that the Apostle Paul absolutely loved in Acts chapter 16. And if you read that, you'll see that one of the first folks that were, helped establish a church, her name was Lydia, a smart, savvy businesswoman. It also included a formerly demon-possessed slave girl and a Philippian jailer. This motley crew was Paul's core team for that startup church in Philippi. So there was Paul and Silas, they were thrown into jail. It's not for preaching the gospel per se, but it's because they were messy. They messed with that formerly demon-possessed slave girl's master's income. So they got thrown into jail. But in the process of being beaten and thrown into jail, they were illegally stripped of their rights as Roman citizens. And so the local authorities, when they figured this out, so they wouldn't get in trouble with Rome uh, for not realizing that they had just unjustly jailed Roman citizens, they tried to convince Paul and Silas, hey, hey, if you wouldn't mind, would you leave quietly? And Paul and Silas, their responses was basically, no justice, no peace. Reading from Acts chapter 16, verse 36 and 37, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. It says here, the jailer reported these words to Paul. Uh, the magistrates have sent orders for you to be released, so come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they beat us in public without a trial, although we are Roman citizens, and, and threw us in jail. And now they're going to send us out away secretly? Certainly not. On the contrary, let them come themselves to escort us out. No justice, no peace. This particular church had a special place in Paul's heart. God had used Paul to plant a church with a very unexpected core team. And, and he had suffered greatly as a result. But Paul had joy. When he wrote this letter to the Philippian church, he was writing this from another prison cell. But Paul still had joy. In the midst of, of an inner turmoil of impending death, Paul still had joy. You know, if we ask the question, can this letter to the church in Philippi, can it still be, this epistle of joy still be relevant in our lives? Can it, can it still be relevant in our reality today? I, I think so. I do. Because you know, we may not be facing the exact same issues that, the, the, that were being faced by Paul or the Philippians, but the pain, the suffering, the hurt, that's the same. See, the means, the methods of sin, they may be different over the years, but the reality of its impact will always be the same. So what I'm going to do today is what I want to do is introduce the overarching theme that's going to be presented over and over again throughout this letter. Basically, the secret sauce or the, the formula for joy as Paul sees it and as God has defined it. And now, before I share this formula, it's an acronym. Let me tell you, it's not mine. I admit that this is not an original idea. It's an extremely cheesy mnemonic but uh, as Mike knows, cheesy is good. The cheesier it is, the easier it is to remember. Basically, here it is. The secret to joy is Jesus, others, you. In that order. I know it's, it's like dad joke level, cheesy. I apologize, but I have a feeling you're not going to forget that. Jesus, others, you. All right, so let's look at the first piece of that joy puzzle. 
is to consider Christ first. And what, what I mean by that is this. Jesus is the source. Jesus is the reason. Jesus is the purpose of our joy. Verse 2, it says grace and peace, which is what comes from joy. Grace and peace is from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, it says Jesus is the one who's going to complete the work being done in our lives to bring us joy. Verse 11 talks about the transformative work of the Holy Spirit that happens to us by God's grace, mercy, and the power of Christ that's intended to give God uh, so that God can receive all the glory and all the praise so that we can receive joy. The very first variable of this joy formula is to consider Jesus first. Now, I understand that it's a bit antithetical to how most folks would typically live today. In my generation, back in my day, there was this prevalent concept, this mentality of he who has the most toys wins. So joy would be found by the accumulation of things, iPods, iPhones, etc. Personally, I feel like many of the generations that have come after mine, they're a bit more woke than mine was. Most get that things do not make you happy. From, from what I've read and what I've observed, the, the current generation is much more of the mindset that external factors do not bring joy, joy or, or happiness. It comes from the internal, from within. There's this quote from, I don't know who she was, I forgot, but this book, this quote says, don't think having a boyfriend or a girlfriend is going to bring you happiness. The Dalai Lama has been single for 80 years, and he's the happiest guy in the world. They understand. It's not the external that brings joy. Their belief is that it's the internal that brings joy. And I'll tell you, that's definitely closer to the truth than what I grew up with, but it's not all the way there. See, the joy promised to us by God, the joy that will allow us to feel contentment in the face of hurt and trials and murder and violence and injustice, this is not from the external for buying more things. It's not from the internal or for inner peace. It's from the eternal. True joy is something that comes freely and abundantly from Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There, as I was preparing this, there's a couple of iconic images too that I grew up with and I personally love. One is this one, I think it's titled Jesus is My Homeboy. It's a statue of Jesus doing this uh, somewhere in uh, South America, I think. And there's another one where Jesus is just laughing, his head is back, just laughing heartily. When I think of the joy that I'm offered by God, by Christ, these are the images that I have in my head. You see, the Son of God, who knew, who knew that he would suffer the most agonizing torture, the the most humiliating form of execution, the, the isolation and the pain of abandonment, this Savior had and forever has joy. And this joy is available to me. Like Paul, we gain access to this Jesus-level joy simply by asking for it. There's no hoops we have to jump through, no ritual we have to perform. The better Adam, Jesus Christ, is going to make us perfect. And if we let him, and we can experience the joy in that process right now if we let him. When my wife and I first got married many years ago, um, we were having a really hard time at the start of our marriage. I used to have to travel quite a bit for work, like 95% of the time. I would just be home on weekends. 
And every weekend I'd come back home, and though we didn't want to, we would end up fighting about anything. And I remember very specifically one day, she, she turned to me and said, aren't you supposed to be the head of the household? Aren't you supposed to be the one leading me to Jesus? You're not. And at that moment, I realized there's no joy because there's no Jesus. And that was the moment when I started to, to say, okay, I, I get it. No Jesus, no, no joy. But if I can know Jesus, then I can know joy. Now, I'll tell you that that, that eye-opening moment, it didn't cause an instantaneous transformation, but it did make me realize that I needed to take that first step to asking for the joy that's promised by our Savior to make it a priority of my life. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, it says this, I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any case, and in all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I'm able to do all things through him strengthens me. Joy is first by considering Jesus, through whom I can receive the strength to find joy, to, to find contentment in every single circumstance that we're facing right now. So that's the first variable of the joy formula, J. The second is to consider others. We turn to verses 3 and 5 of today's passage. And there it reads this, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's joy in the midst of difficulties that he's facing, the injustices, the, the loneliness, Paul's joy comes not only on his dependence in Jesus and the amazing redemptive gift of Christ, but it also is there because of the partnership in the gospel that he has with his beloved family. I'll tell you today, the term partnership, it typically has some business connotations behind it. Two, two enti entities entering into a formalized partnership or relationship, uh, they take on the risk and the rewards of a unified goal. Right? So a, a good partnership from a business sense, it typically will include collaboration, you know, working together for that common goal. That definition, I think, applies to us as well as a body of believers. See, the body of Christ, the fellowship of believers, the church of the beloved, we are called to work together for a unified purpose so that we can see the gospel transform people into spirit-filled disciples who know that they are the beloved of God because of Christ alone. And that partnership was for Paul and is for us. It's not just a mental exercise. <clears throat> it's intended to be a very real, very practical activity. See, this letter to the Philippians, it, it was a thank you note. It was a thank you letter from Paul. Chapter 2 of this letter speaks of Epaphroditus. Uh, Epaphroditus is a messenger who was sent from the church in Philippi uh, to encourage and to minister to Paul. Because of the Philippian church's partnership, they sent Epaphroditus. Because of Lydia's partnership, she opened her home. Because of the church's partnership, they financially supported Paul. 
The partnership that Paul is speaking of is not one simply of prayer, though that is essential and important, but it's also one of action. And this type of partnership, this type of community, for the sake of the gospel, is what we are called to be a part of. I recently started meeting with all the small group leaders for all the campuses, Wicker Park, downtown South Loop, and we meet, we're trying to meet every month just to check in, see how we're doing, how your groups are going. Uh, Pastor Otu and I, we pulled together resources to help each of the small group leads dive deeper into this epistle of joy. Now, some of the small groups have decided that they're going to uh, dive into this passage that's scheduled for a particular Sunday uh, leading up to it. So before, some are going to be doing it afterwards. Uh, and by the way, if you're not part of a small group, please email me, email info at cotv.life. We'll get you hooked up. We'll try to get you connected to one. Uh, but I wanted to mention this because one of the small groups that decided to, to dive deep uh, in the passage leading up to today's sermon, they, uh, they sent a text message to Suzette um, and simply to say thank you. They thanked her for her efforts. They thanked her for the work of encouragement that she's been engaged in with the members of our, our campus, our community, for, for the constant labor for the sake of the gospel in our community. There's another example. Every week um, after I preach, without fail, one of our sisters here at Church of the Beloved, and I'm not going to mention her name because I didn't get a chance to ask her for permission to use her name. I don't want her to embarrass her, but every week without fail, she emails me just to let me know how the message impacted her, how it encouraged, or maybe didn't. If she doesn't email me one week, I'm going to get a little scared, but she emails her every week. Two weeks ago, well, my wife and I, we helped lead one of the small groups on Saturdays, and this small group decided that we would commit one Saturday a month to doing something. Specifically, right now, I was volunteering with the Chicago Food Depository to help support those who are struggling with food insecurity in Humboldt Park. And I'll tell you, the overwhelming response that we got back, not only from those that we were serving, but those that we were serving with, was thank you. Thank you for encouraging us as we, as we try to show the love of Jesus in this neighborhood. Now, I'm not mentioning these things to, to humble brag, I, I promise. This is not about how Suzette and I are trying to live a community mindset. That's not my intent. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to mention these examples to show you in very real terms what the impact of living out in others before me mindset results in. It results in those around me being encouraged. It results in me being encouraged. It results in those around you being refreshed. It results in joy. The secret to joy is first, consider Jesus, the Savior through whom we are able to do all things for his glory. The second, do all things for others. To remember that we're in a partnership with the body of Christ, with the beloved of God. Together, we are, we're, we're called to, we're empowered to, and we're emboldened to live out the love of Jesus in this world. These are the, these are the first two variables of this joy formula that Paul presents in this epistle of joy. The last one, last part of the formula is you. Now, uh, last Sunday, Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday, uh, I read to you and preached on 1 Corinthians 
uh, a letter that was written to the Corinthian church by Paul. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21 and 22, again reading from the Christian Standard Bible, this is what it says there. It says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. You see, the point from last week was this. A person, a person's self-centeredness broke the build. A person's inability to consider the greater source of joy, the community around that individual resulted in a chasm between humanity and the great I am. And Paul is showing us through this letter that the way to restore that brokenness, to fix that broken build, is to apply this formula of joy that had been created long before. And this joy formula puts you after Jesus, puts you after others. It does not put you first. One of my favorite verses is from Philippians. And Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility considers others more important, more significant than yourself. See, Paul understood that this need is to put you last. The very start of this letter starts out with Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Servants is doulos, which is more accurately translated to Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. And I think it's worth noting that in every other letter that Paul writes to the churches, like the one to Ephesus, to Corinth, to Galatia, they all start with Paul saying something like, hey, this is Paul. I am a messenger sent from God. I am an apostle with the authority to speak into your life right now. But this one, this letter, this one's being sent to his friends, to Lydia, to the jailer, to the slave girl. This is one being sent to his beloved sisters and brothers in Christ. He doesn't lord over them his role or authority or position. Not that those don't exist. Not that he doesn't have authority over them, but just like Jesus, he, he didn't count his godness, Jesus who did not count his godness as something to be uh, exploited, but rather came as a servant to save the lost. Just like that example, Paul wanted the readers of this epistle of joy to understand that Jesus comes first, then others, before he considers himself. He, Paul, and Timothy, like his sisters and his brothers in Philippi, like us here at Church of the Beloved, we are all slaves of Jesus Christ, followers of our Savior, lovers of our Lord. And he did not consider himself as better or more important. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that you're called to ignore yourself. That's not it at all. I'm not saying that you, you need to martyr yourself in the process of supporting your beloved family. Look at Christ as an example. Jesus would get up early in the morning to be by himself to spend time with God, to rejuvenate himself. Jesus went out to the garden of Gethsemane because he wanted to check with God. God, are you sure? Dad, is this the only way that we can save your beloved children? Do do I have to do this crucifixion thing? See, Jesus understood that self-care was a thing. He understood that that was a necessity. But the reason I bring it up, the issue at hand is how do you balance that? When we permit our own needs 
and our own wants to supersede the desperate needs of the widow, the orphan, the persecuted. When we permit our comfort to override the needs of those facing racism, sexism, classism, when we permit the broken build of this world to control how we live our lives, instead of applying this joy formula that God's provided, then we won't know the joy that God has promised. There's a lot of analogies to my wife today, so sorry, hon. Uh, but my wife, she's a director of the U.S. chapter of Hands at Work in Africa. This is an organization that the Church of the Beloved partners with. And this organization, from its inception, always believed that the first thing that any person interested in, in uh, walking with them, supporting the ministry that helps to care for vulnerable children in sub-Saharan Africa, that first thing must be to understand and to know the children, the kids that this organization loves and serves. But a few years ago, they came to a realization that there needed to be an additional ask beyond that. And that was to ask that anyone wanting to, to come to be a part of this ministry, to come in short-term missions or whatever, they had to be partners financially as well. And so they had to make this decision. They decided that they were going to ask for a one-year financial com uh, a commitment of uh, $25 a month to support one child so that these kids could receive really the three essential services uh, education, a meal every day, and health care. And the health care, by the way, includes like spiritual care, emotional care, as well as physical. Now, I remember when this decision was first been made, uh, Suzette spent days, weeks trying to figure out, okay, with her team, how, how are we going to message this request? Because, you know, honestly, nobody likes to ask for money, and nobody likes to be asked for money. It feels dirty. I mean, personally, NPR starts asking for money, I kind of turn it off. The truth is, this is only going to be problematic when you ask if the person receiving the request, this particular one, if they have a different joy formula than you do. See, if you is the first variable, then this ask is going to be nearly impossible. How do you ask someone from, for whom financial stability, material comfort is likely the priority, the means of finding one's joy? If, if having a new bike or a new house or new whatever is, is, is how you define contentment, how you define joy, asking to, to take away from that at best is going to be challenging. But if the joy formula that you apply in your life allows, follows the example laid out in this epistle of joy to first consider Jesus, then do for others by living in partnership with the community and the beloved of Christ, then you will find joy. You will find the joy that God promises each and every one of us. And asking somebody with that joy formula in their life to consider another as more significant by supporting someone in need, it's not a difficult ask at all. See, here's the thing. The formula for joy, Jesus, others, and you, is not Jesus plus others plus you. The formula for joy is Jesus plus others equals your joy. This is God's design. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back to the stage because I want to close out this, today's message. What I want to do is I, I just want to read to you a, a bit of the passage that was read today. Um, this is from a different translation, though. Uh, I really thank another sister in our 
beloved family, she introduced me to a summarized translation. It's called The Passion. Uh, and in the passage, uh, in the passage translation of today's passage, starting with verse 9, says this. I continue to pray for your love to grow and increase beyond measure, bringing you into the rich revelation of spiritual insight in all things. This, this will enable you to choose the most excellent way of all becoming pure and without offense until the unveiling of Christ. And, and, and you will be filled completely with the fruits of righteousness that are found in Jesus, the anointed one, bringing great praise and glory to God. The formula for joy is to put Jesus first, then others next. Then you will be filled with the fruits of righteousness, bringing great praise and glory to God. You will be filled with joy. Joy. 